Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Spanish version of this week's podcast as it relates to all things La Liga on the overlap. Of course, the La Liga season is over, finally. I'm I'm less, I guess I'm less upset that, or I should say, yeah, less upset about the La Liga season in relation to the Premier League season because I think England was just exhausting for so many different reasons. Spain, of course, was exhausting on a personal note, but we'll get to that honestly later it's just nice to talk about spanish football and uh what happened over the last two weeks because i have to say just from watching i've watched spanish football now for about almost 10 almost 10 years and it's probably been one of the most exciting it's probably second or third most exciting last two weeks uh, of the season that i've ever seen so i'm uh I've, I've come to terms with high praise top top three <laughs> top three wow top three only wow. only behind um i would say the the 2014 2015 like cup finals that we had and then the um 2013 2014 final day of the season where um you know we drew atletico and they went on to win the league so i mean it was exciting from an objective standpoint i'm trying to be objective um but yes yes high praise for sure <laughs> well i just i just want to make sure before we jump into the uh the soccer here i have to note that elias is doing a great um tommy bahama impression right now with with his shirt um along with the little greetery in the back um <laughs> this like kind of paul not palm tree but some sort of like it's a, tropical it is a yeah. plant behind him and uh and he's changed rooms from from our last episode so the room itself is more green too so i i really have to commend him yeah you guys can't see it but it it is a completely different dynamic being in this room um i wore by the way this like hawaiian-esque shirt the whole day at work i just full send didn't care and i had a team call first thing this morning and my manager was like oh how's how's uh the warm weather treating you on your i wouldn't call it a vacation but my little getaway and um honestly i'm i'm doing great i'm doing great this is the vibe <laughs> today this is the vibe meanwhile i'm looking at rion he's got i think he's got his overlap sweatshirt on at I least do. yeah that's that's what it looks like this white overlap <laughs> sweatshirt um Two very different climates, honestly, but yeah, it's actually super <laughs> hot in this room, but it's, um, it's been a wonderful time being just out of the city. I, I have to say I'm coming back soon, but like, I, I would prefer not to, if I could for another week, honestly, but whatever, <laughs> neither here nor there. Well, don't worry. When you come back, it'll be, um, almost as hot, but way more. I know, humid, probably. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm actually pissed off about. So like, at least it's not super humid here, but. It is, it's like 95 degrees every day, but I, I do expect, by the way, to you, um, to greet me at, at my doorstep with milk and cookies first thing that I get mm, back. So mm, I'll just, well, I'll, I just want you to be aware of that. Okay. Might be a surprise there, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's also, I think that's fair. I think that's equally fair, but anyway, enough of the shenanigans, Rian. Um, let's get to talking about the league of football. Let's talk about your 2020 2021 la liga champions a, a sentence i did not think i genuinely did not think that i would say and 
no, Rian, I was not trying to jinx it the last three weeks. I genuinely <laughs> did not think this would happen. Atletico Madrid, champions of Spain for the... Well, actually, I'll hold off on my next comments, but champions of Spain once again. 16 wins in 19 games in the first half of the season to dropping significant points between January and April and going on a tear in their last five games, winning four out of their last five. The only, the only match they did not win was their draw away against Barcelona. We have to talk about their last two match days. We talked about them throughout each season. We've recapped almost each game that Atletico played, but we have to talk about the last two match days that I think gave many, many people in Madrid in general, heart attacks. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I don't even know what to make of, the game against Osasuna where I really was scared for them going down one nil in a game where if you looked at the other side of Madrid was probably going to turn out just fine for them. And it ended up doing so, but for Atletico to be down one nil with 10 minutes left to go after, by the way, a first half in which they had 23 shots 23 shots in the first half alone. They should have and could have easily been 4-0 up. It, it was it was not close. But they ended up going down uh, just basically on a very sporadic counter. It was not pretty. It was not pretty towards the 75th, 80th minute. But the way that this Atletico team crawled back in the last two weeks or two last two match days is nothing short of commendable. Absolutely nothing short of that. They basically dragged themselves over the finish line with a wonderful, wonderful finish from Correa against Osasuna to, to tie at 1-1. And then, of course, the man himself, the, I believe, fourth highest goal scorer in Barcelona history, going on to win the game in the last two minutes against Osasuna for Atletico almost almost solidifying the La Liga title for them in the in the penultimate game. Rian, before I even move on any further, that that took that took gusto, honestly, to get that out. But <laughs> what what where was your head at with, with this Atletico team the last two weeks? The the last two weeks, I mean in the end, it really did feel like it came down to their best players coming up with the most important moments, coming up with the most significant moments of these last two games. You think about the, I think in the Osasuna game, I think the first goal was um, was actually Lodi, but it was, just, um, it was the Valladolid it was, game where it, it was, was, was Korea that scored that beautiful, beautiful first goal to yes. to draw them level. But even yeah, going back even to the Osasuna game, um, you think about. It's a great goal, by the way, by by uh, Lodi, who just goes laces like into the top, into the top corner. But who gets the assist there? It's, it's Joao Felix, right? And then in this, with the second goal, it's a wonderful play from Trippier, and then and then of course Yannick Carrasco, who was on like the opposite side of the field that that he usually is, and and he had your two fullbacks playing basically almost like a one-two. 
um, in the box and, and he's the one who gets the assist and it's Luis Suarez who scores it. And then you move on to the Valladolid game where after an extremely un like goal to concede. And I remember texting Elias um, when it happened. It, it came off of a corner where Valladolid just broke and there was a massive gap in the middle of the pitch um, on a counterattack where Valladolid ended up scoring. And they score in the, uh, what was that, like the first 15 minutes of the game. And I don't know if the players knew or not, but thankfully there was some pressure taken off by the fact that uh, Villarreal had scored against <laughs> yeah. Real Madrid like five minutes later. So, yep. so you know, there was like five minutes there where we we're like, oh no. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, and then, and then Madrid co- or Real conceded, and that probably, <laughs> hopefully, someone got onto got into uh, Simeone's ear and told him like, hey, they, they should probably know that it's not <laughs> quite that. Not quite that dire yet. Yeah, um, yet, yet. Keyword yet. <laughs> right? But then, yeah, to come back in that game, they were able to get the the second goal from Luis Suarez um, much sooner than, than against Osasuna. But, yeah, it, you hate to say that it came down to one person, but <laughs> you think about their True. biggest moments this season and, and a lot of their biggest goals were was scored by Luis Suarez and the scenes after the um the final whistle on Sunday or on Saturday where you know, he's FaceTiming his family and he's just in tears on the pitch and uh it's gonna be used as a meme template for sure I, I'm sure I will get some use out of it during the Euros and honestly probably a Copa America <laughs> and, as well. and the Copa yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for sure um, but but no I, I think as much criticism as we've given Diego Simeone for stretches of this season um, and for as much as it felt like this team was limping towards the end, they end up pulling out three one goal wins um, in the last three games of the season. If you include the Sociedad win, all two ones, all fine, fine margins, even though they they did dominate um, the last two games against Osasuna and Valladolid, but, end of the day yeah they they never they never fully imploded it just never happened and we have to give a lot of credit to them um being able to keep their nerve honestly yeah this is a thing that i think i don't want to say rian and i were incorrect in this because i think i pointed out before the osasuna game that is absolutely a team that I thought Atletico could go on to drop points against, regardless of the fact that they were at home. Because Os- Osasuna are such a tricky team to play against because of almost how well they counter, how well they just defend in, in a block, and they're, they're honestly extremely frustrating to play against. And you saw in the way that Atletico dominated that game had 20 plus shots and still could not actually score a goal. They should have, they should have Suarez had one incredibly good chance. Lorente had another one, but Osasuna still went on and were leading for a, a majority, not a majority of the game, but a majority of the second half to the point where it was scary. It was honestly scary for, for Atletico. Atletico being able to flip the script and create a comeback in both games, honestly, was I, you have to give them massive, massive applause because 
they were basically one conceded chance away on the last match day against Valladolid from losing the league because it, it was drawn at, at one point and and there was a point where Real Madrid scored to go up again against Villarreal which was a much more difficult game for Madrid than I even expected and at that point if Atletico had conceded the league went to Real Madrid so fine margin like it's fine margins we've talked about it so many times but we're sitting here talking about Atletico being champions again and I think that is ultimately what people are going to remember so Rian I I think there's an interesting part of this Atletico conversation that I want to have. And I do think that there's a conversation around whether or not like you and I have been unfair on Simeone, on this team. There are only two players from their last league title, 2013, 2014, that are still here. Koke being one of them. And oh my God, is it Hermoso? Not Hermoso. It might Um, might be Jimenez. Jimenez, thank you. Jimenez being the the second. Other than that, the team is essentially brand new. Diego Forlan, funny enough, being the Uruguayan that scored to basically win the title for Atletico in the Camp Nou. When, of course, Luis Suarez doing the same thing about several years later. So (laughs) that, of course, being the interesting narrative. But more importantly, Rian, how many league titles do you think Atletico Madrid have won the last seven years? Which I think is the obvious. Obviously, <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two. Okay, right. How many league titles do you think Real Madrid have won in the last seven years? They've got one from Zidane, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. I f- I feel like they might they have another, but I'm but I'm not sure if it's with the Z- Zidane or not. So the answer is also two. Real Madrid and Atletico both have two league titles won in the last seven years. Barcelona make up the rest. But it's crazy to me that we're having a conversation about a a manager that, I don't want to say survived, but has managed this team since the early 2010s until now and has sustained himself and sustained completely different squad or rebuilt the squad essentially and still has the same number of league titles as their crosstown rivals. I think that is one of the most underrated parts about not only Simeone, but also this Atletico team, because I do not think that there are any managers. I, I kid you not. I do not think there's another manager on earth that would be able to accomplish that in, in a 10 year span, essentially Pep maybe in the context of Manchester city, but to sustain yourself that long with pretty pretty good success i mean making multiple champions league finals yeah winning the league title you know going very far in the copa del rey like that that to me i i realized i think over the last two weeks how significant it was for atletico and i think we we've just been pretty unfair on them no i i i, I think you're right there i i i think there's this um dichotomy between what what maybe people would expect this team to um the progression of what this team would be i guess is is what i'm thinking especially after you go and make the big signings for Joao felix and um and you bring in a very attacking fullback like karen trippier and and lodi himself is pretty attacking a pretty attacking fullback as well but you know i i do think that 
we underestimated just the unity that I think that he is able to foster even when when new players come in like you said being able to rebuild and retool this team from the one that won it seven years ago and and do it again with a almost completely new set of players like that's an unbelievable accomplishment uh you think about in that same time I've had to guess it's the core of the Real Madrid team is still the same over the last five years or yeah last five years I don't think back to like 2016 pretty much 15 16 like it's pretty much the same core of players you you know obviously you throw in a few of the younger guys who've come in in the last three years but that's still mostly the same team and we're seeing you're seeing what the kind of fallout or the limitations that comes with keeping a core for that long and not refreshing and you see now that there's a big job for the for whoever the next Real Madrid coach will be and and also for the board of, of Real Madrid because this is not easy to sustain success while also completely changing the makeup of your squad so it's it's a huge huge accomplishment for um Diego Simeone of course and 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 Atletico Madrid as a club too because on top of all of this they they built a new stadium and they moved into a new stadium like this is all like so many moving parts and to be able to still keep the identity and the character of the club as as unified as it has been is a major major accomplishment in like an organizational sense 100 percent, 100 percent, and to see that i mean i was questioning whether he haven't ha- even had backing of his players earlier this season because of just basically the downfall that they had after the run of form. And I think it's pretty fair to say that no team could have sustained the run of form that they had in the beginning of the season. No one really expected that to continue, but I think a lot of people would have expected them to regress to the mean per se, rather than just completely drop off, which at some point they did. So I have to give props to Simeone. That's the the TLDR, honestly, but you make a, a good segue, Rian talking of course about Real Madrid in in the context of their aging core and we've yelled at them albeit virtually <laughs> for, <laughs> for their poor planning this was their first trophyless season in 11 years 2009-2010 was their last trophyless season and we know what happened after that Mourinho came in and he did his his thing 100 point season and all <laughs> that too so he also it's... turned the entire squad upside down after the you know, the world cup. So <laughs> we're getting, we're and, and I mean, with a certain Italian manager who has, <laughs> who has left his, his title winning team. Yeah. Very similar to Mourinho, the same exact title winning team. We should say <laughs> it, it feels like we're about to roll back the clock and, and maybe uh, this is also speculating, but, but <laughs> could be deja vu. Honestly, this is how I win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Through speculation. Of course, Real's obviously talking about Antonio Conte, but if Real Madrid do appoint Antonio Conte, I would literally shit bricks. Like, I would be so <laughs> shocked if that was the case. And I sent Rian a hilarious tweet earlier that was like, Vinicius is either just going to become like a world-class winger and finisher, or he's literally going to need therapy after three training sessions because <laughs> it's it's only one or the other uh, with Antonio Conte. But... Let's talk about Real Madrid, uh, Rian, a, a season that 
has obviously now, as many people know, it's official scenes in Dane Zidane leave his position in almost like the most underwhelming way compared to the first time that he left, which was a proper send off. And now it doesn't necessarily feel like he's going out the back door. It almost feels like he's opening the back door himself and like letting himself yeah. out. It's not like he was shunted out. And I think a lot of people at Real Madrid are honestly probably unhappy that he left, especially in the way that he did. But this has been kind of coming for the last month, I think. Not necessarily because they didn't win, you know, La Liga or, you know, didn't make it to the Champions League final. I think Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane, kind of like Inter and Conte, honestly, have very opposing thoughts on where their respective clubs should have gone over the next couple of years. And part of that is down to financial obligations that just can't be met. But Zidane recognized that Real Madrid needed a massive overhaul. It was very, very apparent that they needed a massive overhaul to get rid of some of their aging players, to bring in new players that actually make sense in the context of supporting players that are key. Benzema, right? Talking about, I would probably still argue Tony Kroos and, and Luka Modric are key players, albeit aging. But Sergio Ramos, right? What do you do with, with Sergio Ramos? He is more than likely gone in the summer because there's still not been a resolution over his contract. And he hasn't played since January, since he hasn't been fit. And I think Zidane Zidane probably looked around and said, this is not, this is not something that Madrid and I align on. It's not something that Florentino Perez and I are ever going to come to an agreement on because of either monetary reasons or sporting reasons just doesn't make sense. So future is very, very muddy right now for, for Real Madrid. And I, I I don't think there's, I don't think there's many Madrid fans are going to consider this season a success. Um, I just, by any standard that you hold them to, whether that's extremely high ones that they always should be held to, or just the context of winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I find it hard to believe that there are many Madrid fans who are, who are going to look at this season as like a success and, um, and be happy with, with how it ended. Uh, at the same time for Zidane, I, I feel like as a coaching job, this was, pretty successful um considering considering the squad right considering yeah the injuries considering the well-documented rebuild that is necessary because of the aging core um I think to be able to get this team to pretty much I mean you you think about the the penalty saves that Oblak made during this during this run for for Atletico Madrid like you're talking about razor than like knife edge moments that um, easily could have gone in Real Madrid's favor. And we would have talked about how they just kind of stole the league pretty much. Um, And for him to get them into that position, I think it's actually really impressive, a coaching job. And I think that um, going into this season and, you know, probably my thoughts on what I, on the type of manager that I, that I presume that, uh Zindin Zidane was and, and maybe the quality I, I think I've been impressed by him a lot this season like there's they had no business really making it to the Champions League semifinal on with this team like being being totally honest and and we've talked about it before too where you know we we think that Liverpool might have will definitely have some regrets in that tie for sure but I, I think this was a good job by him and I think that he is a smart guy too, in the sense that 
yeah, he knows that this is going to need a lot of um, work. And he knows Florentino Perez better than most. And he knows that it's not going to be fully up to him, Zendin Zidane. It won't be, it won't be enough control, I think, for him in this rebuild. And he's probably seeing this as, you know, I know that I'm not going to have the biggest say on, on who comes in and who leaves. And I don't really want to have to deal with this. <laughs> and you know, Zindi yeah. Zidane has, yeah. has just always been that type of person, right? Like he leaves on his own terms. He doesn't, yep. he hasn't gotten sacked yet. Um, even his playing career, he, 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 <laughs> yeah. ended, he, he ended it. He ended it in 2006. He was like one of the best players at the world cup. <laughs> and, and it was just like, yeah, this is going to be it for me. Like easily could have probably played another three years and still been yeah. a great player. But, but um, it's kind of always, he's kind of always uh, played to his own tune. Yeah. And he knows when to leave. He knows, yeah. he knows when to pick and choose his moments and he does it really well. And it's honestly, I'm trying to be as objective as possible because it's Madrid, but it's one of the saddest stories probably in just managerial history, not being supported the way that he probably deserved to be supported between 2016, 17, right? And then when he left subsequently in 2018, like he he deserved to be able to build the squad back, you know, together the way it should have been, especially after Ronaldo left. But he was never really fully supported by Florentino Perez because Florentino Perez kind of shoots by the hip a little more. He he wants his marquee signings, his Galacticos. Zidane doesn't think that way. And part of why he left in the first place and part of why he's leaving again. So he's leaving this mess to somebody. I don't know who it is, but yeah, I actually, this is one of the few scenarios where I actually have no idea who's going to become the new Real Madrid manager. If I had to put money on it, like actual significant money, I would say it's going to be one of Raul, who is currently uh, Castilla, Real Madrid Castilla, so their youth team coach uh, being promoted potentially. Alternatively, Pochettino is also someone that Florentino Perez has won in the past. And his situation at PSG is, let's just call it fluid. Fluid, fluid. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We think alike, exactly. It's, it's fluid. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, but before we go to a break, Rian, we have to shout out Kareem Benzema for apparently taking some of Zidane's black magic before he left and applying it to Didier Deschamps for the French national team. First call up since 2015 after, of course, the whole blackmail sex scandal yeah. thing with Valbuena basically blacklisted him for five years, six years. Yeah. Um I'm, I believe I'm so, it's still I'm, like in trial, like still kind of has not been, has not been um, totally exonerated, uh, yeah. sorted out yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he, I mean, I think the trial is later this year and, but I, I don't know. I like, I want to be in Didier Deschamps head for like five minutes just to understand <laughs> like what went through his head to actually include Benzema this time around. Obviously Benzema is having an incredible season, right? He is, I think second in the the scoring chart, probably I mean, he's tied on 23 goals with uh, Luis Suarez in La Liga. And of course has scored more in the champions league, but like what? I don't, I don't know what changed. I really don't know what changed. I'm just, I'm so, so happy for him because he deserves it so, so much. And you could see like just how happy, not just like 
the French people were because they recognize how important he is to this team and what he means for, for the country, but also how happy the French squad was like, just to see him back in the team, they all like welcomed him with open arms. And it was just, it was kind of refreshing to see that, yeah. honestly. And that was the question mark, right? Like, will they welcome him back with open the, the players? I should say that yeah. was the question mark. Will they welcome him back with open arms? And granted, we're just going off of like mostly pictures and stuff from the, from the squad <laughs> training, but like, it, it does it does look like genuinely people are happy for him and happy to have him in the squad. Like well, on top of all, he's a great vibes guy. Like he, <laughs> he that, that guy's gonna like, he, he's good. He of course is going to get along with like Paul Pogba <laughs> and Griezmann and like those. It's like, they're, they're he is have one a lot of them. Of he is one of the bunch. Yeah. Yeah. So like, for him, that's, it, it is great. A great achievement. Totally deserved in a sporting sense. I, I, I again, I hope that hope that it, I hope that, you know, that normal kind of French thing that happens every like five to six years where they just completely <laughs> revolt and like and have some total weird like shit where they thinking back to the 2010 World Cup where they literally stop training and, and yeah, oh the manager God. to be by like, I'm hoping that nothing like that happens um, during this tournament, because if they can just keep their heads like this is they were already one of the probably two favorite top two favorites i'd say going without him but you throw benzema into a potential forward line of killing mbappe <laughs> benzema and griezmann and oh right and gola Conte and paul Pogba will be behind them and like <laughs> and dembele as a dembele yeah. might be a sub like, yeah the, the obviously the sky's the limit for this team and and um i don't know there's a there's a part of me too going back to ben uh, zidane there's a part of me that that kind of hopes that he has like a wink wink um handshake handshake agreement with the with the french national team that maybe after 2022 like he he steps in and becomes the the national team manager because yeah that's a really good shout it, it, he he just it feels like it feels like he'd be a great national team manager. Uh, it seems like it seems like the kind of hands off, like laid back, just keeping the squad happy kind of thing. Or and he has full control over who the players are. Like I, I think that would be a great role for uh, Zinedine Zidane at some point. And there's just yeah. like a part of me that hopes that he coaches the French national team after Qatar or something like that. But I know ne- I never even thought we'll about see. that. I honestly never even thought about it. I think that's a really, really great idea. He honestly he probably has thought about it at some point. He had to. Where he it's has gotta to be. It's got to it. be. It's got to be. Like I got to think that almost every of these top European managers that's having in the back of their head, like, yeah, one day I want to coach my, I want to coach my uh, country. Like, yeah, yeah. So, I'm sure. I'm sure Jesse Marsh probably has that same oh, same idea course, too. Of course. <laughs> yeah we don't don't worry i've still <laughs> been sending him those letters so. <laughs> he hasn't replied but they've been written <laughs> oh anyway well we're gonna take a quick break before rihanna gets a rant about barcelona again um and then we'll wrap it up talking about what was wow an interesting europa league final uh, actually extremely boring until the 120th minute and then I guess we'll talk a little bit about whatever clusterfuck Luis Enrique put together for the Spanish national team. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's rant about Barcelona. 
it's my, it's the last time I get to do it realistically before like <laughs> any of the national team competitions over the summer start. So yeah, until you get to like tangentially do it during the yeah. Copa America when Argentina <laughs> finds a way to lose in the semifinals to Chile. Oh my god! Do you understand how triggering that is as like a Messi fan to hear? Oh, before we even get to the Barcelona thing, I was reading an interview that Mascherano did with uh, TYC Sports, an Argentinian news outlet. And so one of the reporters asked him, um, you know, what was, I guess, like the most difficult moment in your Argentinian national team career? And you would kind of expect him to say the World Cup loss in 2014. But he was like, no, the World Cup loss was bad. But the 2016 Copa America, where we went out to Chile for the second time on penalties, was much worse. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> that does seem to be the one. Like, not even just from him. I feel, I feel like I've heard from other Argentinian players. Yeah. It was like, that's that's actually, that one actually hurt way more than people expect. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Just because of Centenario. Centenario, yeah. right? So, yeah, like, yeah. Centenario. Messi broke the, the record for most goals um for argentina in that tournament against the u.s unfortunately yeah. but you know um <laughs> yeah we don't all, have to talk much about that one i mean the free kick was ridiculous the, yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> yeah that was that was a tough day yeah <laughs> <laughs> people i like american fans really waltzed into like houston and we're like oh we're gonna we're gonna yeah we're gonna pull this off with like yedlin covering Di maria like that was it a was, good idea it was, it was, <laughs> yeah it was like a rude rude awakening for people yeah. Yeah. did not watch a, a lot of soccer before <laughs> it that. was so fun oh god <laughs> anyway about all around basically but back to barcelona a team that is equally as disappointing as argentina at this point ah Rian, I'm, I'm just gonna ask the question because i think it's the question that's been on my mind the most do you think that this season was successful for barcelona and i will actually get this binary question right uh yes or no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's, it's so complicated. I, I'm, I'm inching towards, yes, I, that's, I'm inching towards yes, because you throw in what felt like for a lot of the season, an uphill battle at times, um, because of, Honestly, like because of the deficiencies in the back line, um, at times because of the deficiencies of Ronald Koeman himself as a coach, to still come out of this with the Copa del Rey and, and you know, played some lovely, lovely soccer during during that the run to that cup. And look, for stretches of this season, they looked like the best team as well. Um, so I, I want to say it's a success in the sense of a trophy plus – some of these young guys who it might've been their first full season um, as Barcelona first team players, I think getting a lot of minutes and being in high pressure situations, sometimes prevailing, sometimes not, but that's kind of what comes with players of that age or not the consistent, the consistency isn't 100% there yet. Right. So it's, I want to say it was a success. I want to inch, I want to lean towards success. Um, now, so much of the success of this team came from thirty-four, their thirty-four-year-old talisman top, who um, it looks like he's going to 
it looks more likely than not that he will be on the on the team again next season but still nothing has been solved in terms of what comes next there that's the only question mark um that is still there we still we, we're still not sure if Antoine Griezmann is going to be the guy to take over afterwards and um even though he did have a good season uh individually it, you still have to think about how much of that is just because of Lionel Messi so it's a successful season I I, I will say but it didn't answer all of the questions that we had going into it. Yeah. I I think that's actually a really good way of looking at it. I, I will answer the question of whether or not I think this is a successful or was a successful season in a second. Um, But what you just mentioned about basically the success of Barcelona going forward, largely depending on Messi, obviously as it has for the last 15 years, but in the next two years, it's really, really cyclical because basically the future of the club roster depends on what Messi's decision is, whether he stays or whether he goes right now, like Ryan said, I think it's more likely than not that he does stay just based on a, I think Sergio Aguero obviously coming. I also think in the context of Laporta being um, uh, appointed as the new president and Messi himself going out to vote, Um, in that election as he's never done before those are all pretty telling signs but at the same time Barcelona can't properly plan a sporting project without knowing what Messi wants to do so it's it's a game of cat and mouse where one party just has to decide or 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 give in at some point and and call the other and say this is what I'm going to do or this is what we want to do it it's really really complicated in that sense so I just want to point that out before I answer the question. Ultimately, I'm going to, I'm going to slightly disagree, Rian. I'm going to say that I don't think this was an overarching successful season. I get that this is coming off the back of an eight, two loss to Bayern. I get that you're coming off of the back of getting rid of getting rid of, you know, major deadweight players as um, we kind of say, but Coleman did a really good job between January and April of this year. He did not do a great job between September and December. I think that a lot of people, A, forget the part where this team was in 14th at some point in the middle of <laughs> yeah. October. And it, like we, we quickly seem to forget that. But more importantly, I think we heard, we've heard this a lot in our lives, but like the climb back up to success is sometimes much more important and much more telling than maybe the first part of the season. And I think that rang really true for Ronald Koeman. The problem is that with this team and what Ronald Koeman did to get them so far as they did in, you know, climbing their way up basically back into, um, into La Liga and into the title race, having the La Liga race in their hands, by the way, and then also in the Champions League, blowing a home loss to Juventus in the final group stage to then be seeded worse by finishing second in their group stage to have to then go on play PSG, get just absolutely embarrassed at home, obviously played very, very well in the away leg. And honestly, in another day probably could have gone through, but for all of those points to add up when it really, really mattered the most Ronald Coleman got it wrong. 
And that's really hard to swallow as a Barcelona fan because when you have the La Liga trophy in your hands, like you have the power to control your own destiny in a season where Atletico like shouldn't have even entertained anyone else being in the title race, let alone Barcelona who were in 14th. That, that is an opportunity where as a top class coach, I think in a, a slightly better team, you're going on to winning the title. And I can sit here and say, if we had won the La Liga title and the Copa del Rey, like we did, this is a, a, a successful season, especially given the fact of where we came from. But the way that the Granada game, the Levante game, the Atletico game, how they all went, and then, of course, the Celta Vigo game, they dropped points, I think, for the last five games. How do you throw it away like that? That's not. That's just not acceptable. So I don't want to harp on just you know a handful of games that were probably 5 to 10% of the season, but those were the most important games, and you can't throw it away like that. Yeah, we talked earlier about how in the crucial moments atletico's best players came up with the goods right and and were able to will their way almost to winning these games and 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 just find the right moments find the right pass they were decisive enough right and as a team unfortunately not in the attacking sense i should say because Barcelona scored more goals than anyone else in the league. They scored 85 goals. Second was Atletico Madrid with 67. Like it, it was never, that was never the issue with the team. The issue came with the defensive side. They never got the crucial moments defensively correct, right? That just lapses in either concentration or just general organization skills, honestly, as a, as a back line, um, is the reason why they ended up being fifth in terms of goals allowed and ended up being sixth in terms of expected goals allowed. So there was, there was no point where that defense looked like a title winning defense or, or even operated organizationally as a title winning defense. And, and there wasn't even enough, wasn't enough, um, to where I'm looking for bite, I think even in the midfield and from a defensive sense. So, yeah, it's hard. It, it the, the successes were so top heavy from from like the attack, and and it really felt like they clicked for a good like two to three months of the second half of the season. But they just could never honestly score enough to make up for what was going on behind them. Yeah, I mean, it really d- did come down defensively to their displays. Ter Stegen did not have a, a good season, I think, in-, in my honest opinion. My goalie or goalkeeper of the season is very, very obviously Jan Oblak. And then I think in the context of Barcelona, Ter Stegen was maybe fifth in terms of shot stopped and goal to save ratio. It was an it was not a very good season for him and he's undergoing knee surgery and just went for, he's going to be out for two months missing the euros. It hasn't been great for him the last year. And then I guess most importantly in the context of this team, right? What happens with the manager now, right? The, the team is going itself is going to go over a massive overhaul and it would be almost foolish to try and predict what all of those look like other than what we know, which is Eric Garcia, Sergio Aguero, Juan Yaldum, and possibly Memphis Depay coming into this team. I think players like Brathwaite, Junior Firpo, 
think you're looking at, you know, Miralem Pjanic, those players are probably gone. But ultimately, I wonder if Coleman's still going to be around. I, I really don't know. I think <laughs> this is one of those situations where you do you remember when Spurs were debating whether or not they should sack Pochettino and Levy being as stingy as he is, didn't want to pay the money to get Levy out of his contract. This is that situation, except for Barcelona don't even have the money to pay that, that buyout basically of, of Komen. So I don't know who the manager is going to be next season. Maybe Barcelona find the fund somewhere deep in an offshore account to, to let him go <laughs> in all likelihood. I think Coleman sticks around because there's basically no other option for, for this Barcelona team, which is kind of sad in some ways, but I think it's the reality. Yeah. They might need to find another um, accounting transfer. <laughs> like, like Piano. Oh my Maybe God. They can... can you do that? Can you do that with managers? Can you <laughs> Maybe like they can like player... flip long lay for like Eric Bailly and somehow get like, <laughs> 20 million off their books from it oh it's perfect yeah 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 Yeah. and then we should do a like a a pochettino plus um or pochettino to barcelona and then coman plus two players to spurs basically yeah yeah oh my god manager swaps that would be hysterical but i i do get that similar feeling um as we had with tottenham two years ago where I mean, in a, in a very different sense, of course, because, you know, with Pochettino, it was like that was the end of the cycle pretty much for that Tottenham team. Right. But um, similar in the sense where it feels like this team is not going to go any further than they did this season with Ronald Koeman. Like, honestly, even if they do bring in other players, it doesn't feel he just he just is not convincing. I mean, credit to him for getting the attack right, of course. But as a guy who was a wonderful center back in his own career, to to not be able to organize his own defense um, and even be able to organize them at times when the team would play a bit more pragmatic um, in games and still not be good enough to to defend is an issue. And and it feels like we're going to go into next season potentially with him as the manager and it's just going to take the first bad run for him to be sacked. And, and that almost never ends terrifically well for in terms of a seasonal season performance for, for a team. So yeah, a lot of question marks still with this Barcelona side and I they're they're not the only club who has a lot of question marks for this summer of right, course right. but um but it, it's it's not it's not clear right I think like you said it's kind of murky because of what will happen with the management but a lot of work needs to be done I can't wait it's going to be a hellish summer just get me <laughs> past the Copa America and just tell me what the result is because I I need to travel to the future but yeah <laughs> It'll be an interesting summer for sure. Um, why don't we move on, Rian, to the rest of what's going on in La Liga, or as at least it relates to Spanish teams. We have to just briefly talk about Sevilla. I, like, yes, they finished fourth, a team that honestly could have finished third if Barcelona didn't score against Ibar, you know, wonderful Griezmann volley. But basically, if they had not won that game, Sevilla could have won on 
you know, the next day on Sunday, uh, which is when they played um, to then go into third and maybe we're having a different conversation, but this was Sophia's highest points tally ever in the premier division in, in the first division of Spain. And I know that they went out early to Dortmund in the champions league, but they really like outside of basically after the, the, game against Real Madrid were in the title race, like properly yeah. in the title race. No one really realized it, but they were in the title race and they were, ba- they were probably one Tony Cross volley away from potentially really being in the title race towards the end of the season. <laughs> but one, there were one, there were one genius flick from <laughs> genius hazard flick from. Yeah, from exactly. Being, exactly. From being fully in it. Yep. I mean, and he got credit for that goal, which is hysterical. So I think he <laughs> scored four goals this season. Uh, but yes, yes, exactly. So do you do you consider this a, a successful season for Sevilla, even though, again, no silverware, no Europa League or Champions League? Well, obviously no Europa League. Um, I don't know. I, ha- I, have to, I have to give Lopetegui credit for keeping the same squad and managing to still have them churning at the same same even better pace than last year. Yeah. I mean, the highest points tally is really, really impressive. Yeah, of course. Like they were, it's a success, definitely, definitely. You think about how deep into the season that they were in the title race. You know, say what you will about whatever we think the quality was of the of the top three in Spain this season, but Sevilla were right there up until the last like few weeks of the season, um, and Lopetegui. This is still all a great story, I think, from a personal side, um, thinking about what the last few years has been for him. And this team looked at, at times like great. You think about the guys like Yusuf and Nasiri, who, who broke out this season. Yeah. Um, like they, they were really able to, I think, at, at times be such a thorn in the side for the four the top three in Spain and like defensively, they were great. They were third, third fewest goals allowed. Um, They were second in terms of expected goals allowed. There's a platform there to be built on. Right. And I, we don't know what the, what the transfers will be for them in terms of like going out, but there's, I feel like there's an opportunity there to establish themselves a bit more. And I'm not saying to be able to catch the the top three. I'm not saying that, but in terms of establishing that fourth place, that fourth spot, like they're, they're pretty much fighting with Sociedad who had a, themselves a great season, you know, all things considered, but yeah, I think, I think all positives, all positives for Sevilla, honestly. And um, to be able to finish with 77 points, and still only finish fourth like that most years that'll get you third at least yeah. right yeah. oh so, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. That's, you're talking about two points a game for the entire season that's wonderful consistency so i i think all things positive from a Sevilla point of view 100 100 agreed i mean they're basically i think one central midfielder away from being a third possibly second place team they have all the other pieces. They have their fullback set. Jesus Navas is still churning. Probably should have been called <laughs> into the Spain squad. Acuna is killing it still. I mean, getting up and down the field. Not as many assists as Jesus Navas, obviously. But right. And then 
I mean, their back line solid. Kunde is yeah. just an absolute tank. That's the one. That's yeah. the one who we're not sure. That's that's the one. The most likely, if any of them were, yeah. to, were to go, it's it's Kunde, and there's going to be lots and lots of teams after his yeah. services for sure. Um, yeah. Just, it's just a, such a fantastic center back. So, I mean, <laughs> the guy, he I, really is. He's so smart. He is so. Yeah. He just reads the game really, really well. He knows when to make tack make tackles. Like he just rarely puts a foot wrong. He would be. He is basically the Nathan Ake version of what Manchester City probably I think would have wanted. A great, that's a great comp. I, I think Nathan Ake is a great comp, and I think he's a better version of him too. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, he also looks exactly like yeah. him. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like when you think about the fact that that he's versatile enough to play in a back four or a back three. Honestly, the way that he's able to pass the ball, but not only pass the ball, but drive into the midfield when this when the space is there when you're playing against teams who are sitting deep you need a center you need one of those center backs to push into the midfield and create numbers and and create like overloads and he is so good at like keeping the ball um keeping the ball when he's when he's running forward with it right and the guy is just fantastic. He's a fantastic center back. And, and I think he's the guy that um, they'll probably be the most fearful of losing this summer. For sure. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't know what will actually happen with him because he almost left last summer, but I'm hoping that he honestly probably does stay around, but we shall see. We shall see. So a pretty successful season for Sevilla Rian. We have to talk about the Europa league final. We have, because <laughs> listen, I said to you on Monday that if you see Gerard Moreno <laughs> running in between Eric Bailly and Lindelof, splitting them and getting by, do not be surprised. Rian, could you explain to me exactly how Villarreal's first and only goal was scored? <laughs> it, it was off of a set piece, a great set piece by, by um, the whole Villarreal team. Right, because it's a great ball from Prejo and yeah. great movement from all the players in in that um, in that play, but yeah, he ends up making a run right in behind uh, Victor Lindelof, who, you know, it, we can say he he was probably too preoccupied with all the other runs that bring me. I think United were just completely thrown off by the movement of of the entire Villarreal team there, and and he ends up getting in behind him and the ball's perfect from Parejo and it's a great finish from Jared Moreno too. And look at, at the end of the day, I, I think I said this too, United needs to turn that game into a track meet and they never really did. Right. The, as the slower that game got, the more it was in Villarreal, uh, it worked for Villarreal. The more that it was in their favor in terms of how they wanted that game to be played. Right. And United just could not break them down with any sort of cohesive attacking play, which has been the same gripes that I think we've said about um, Manchester United for the last year and a half, pretty much the entirety of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign. But no, huge, huge, huge congrats to Villarreal the city of 50,000 people winning their first major European title. It's, it's an unbelievable accomplishment from the team. It's four European or Europa league titles from Unai Emery. 
and the scenes at the end were just were just great i mean you could tell how how much more this was going to mean to them obviously because they're not manchester united uh and to have it to have it end the way it did <laughs> just a, an unbelievable uh penalty shootout really it it, it was 21 penalties the the emotions were great like if that's like when we talked when we had our uh super league discussion about a month ago like this is like what we were talking about in terms of what you lose with just a soulless money grab is you lose you lose moments like what we saw yesterday that that was special yeah like Rian said a town of 50,000 people people you should just like the pictures from their their trophy celebration today with the town was just incredible and by the way this was this wasn't just their first european trophy this was their first trophy ever like ever in their club history their first trophy was the europa league that's how that's how special it was to to basically the i think the castellon region is is where villarreal is located so it it was just so beautiful to watch and also I to, on a footballing note, I do think that Manchester United played a lot better in the second half. I think what Villarreal did really well, by the way, to kind of stop the the I guess what I would call the the race right forward mm-hmm. for Manchester United to kind of spring past Villarreal was I don't know if you noticed this, but Juan Basaka was not like very well pressed, and <laughs> yes. Villarreal basically just created a low block on on like the left-hand side but alternatively Luke Shaw was pressed very high like he he was basically pressed by by two uh by fullback and by a a winger and really had no other choice but to go sideways or backwards so I think I think like you and I Emery probably had that same conversation with the team some point this week like yeah let's not let's not try and lose this race (laughs) yeah no, I love I love that. It it's something that I've been kind of watching for the entire season watching Manchester United. I've been looking to see if teams would just basically let Aaron Juan Basaka have the ball and just dare Manchester United to keep passing it to him. And yeah, that's what we saw yesterday. Like so much of Luke Shaw's success during the season has been when he picks up the ball and he's running at defenders and he's dribbling through players, progressing the ball forward for Manchester United and, and getting it into the feet of, of, of Bruno or of Rashford, Cavani, of their attackers in general. It, it's much easier to deal with United's attack if a lot of their attacking play is coming from that right side. And I thought Mason Greenwood was actually very good yesterday, like considering, yeah, considering yeah. what he had to deal with, like, right. But And Scott McTominay. Yeah. 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 And McTominay was, I think was really good in the second half um, was kind of what United needed was a bit more oomph. Right. Um, it, it was, uh, it, it was a great game plan from, from Unai Emery and from the United side, I think what of the things that I learned from this season, I feel like was the underestimation of man management. Right. And, and, and that's where I gave a lot of credit to uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for what he was able to do with United over the course of their season where, you know, we never felt like they were that great of a team, but outside of obviously the, the amazing attacking talent they have, but uh, what, what he was able to do, 
with the team in the Premier League, I underestimated how much a man management can affect a full league season, right? What I was kind of indicated on was in these fine margin games where you're talking about a one-off, um, a cup final or a semifinals where he, where he has also fallen short. He and Manchester United have fallen short in the last couple of years. Is that, it's just the, the coaching and man, I mean, me and one of my, and one of my roommates after the game yesterday, we spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out what was, what was the thought process of those subs of at least the first few subs of the Fred sub of waiting until the 100th minute in the game to make a sub like in a way where you're like you're Manchester United I mean as much love as we can give to an Emery and, and Villarreal and, and as much as I love Gerard Moreno as a player the talent gap was still immense oh yeah and, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. To, to play that game almost like from for that united team to play like they wanted penalties is kind of ridiculous and i i don't want to i don't want to make this too much more about manchester united but but at the end of the day there's this uh really good point that um Mary peters made or with this united team there's so much talent and there there'll always be so much talent and under under ole gunnar solskjaer it'll it might be enough to make these finals and make semifinals, right? But because of that huge glut of talent, they're almost always going to face a team who is less talented than them. And if they're facing that team in the semifinal or the final, that most likely means that their coach is very, very good. And and when it comes down to it in these games, talent means a lot, of course, but when the margins are this thin, there's maybe only like 10 to 15% that the coach can actually influence. And the other team will be less talented, but their coach is almost always going to be just better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the biggest difference with United. Like we've talked about it. Like that's one of the reasons why I really don't necessarily rate Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that highly in relation to what I think United want to achieve. I mean, right for different teams, maybe we're having a different conversation, but for Manchester United, I do think that the talent deserves, uh, honestly, Carlo Angelotti, I think would be a great shout for United, just throwing that out there as a name, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. So no. yeah, I fully agree with you. I think Villarreal have a lot to celebrate. And as Paul Scholes said yesterday, famously now, of course, a uh, seventh place team in La Liga um, should be easily, um, easily be defeated <laughs> by Manchester United. So Paul Scholes, uh, avid La Liga watcher, obviously, obviously. Has watched every Villarreal game this season. Um, (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course not. So anyway, Rian, last point that I kind of want to touch on was just the the Spanish national team. Obviously, I don't even know what to make of some of these selections. Weird. Usually. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Usually (laughs) I have an idea of what Luis Enrique is thinking based on form. Like that is very obviously how Lucho chooses his Spain teams for the euros, by the way, did not even take up all of the spots. And with the season riddled with injuries, I'm just floored by that. Number one, Um, number two, I'm just going to go over some notable names that are, are in the squad, not omitted, but I'll go over names that are actually in the squad in the squad. First and foremost, 
Aspilicueta. Don't know how I feel about that, first and foremost. I think players like Laporte uh, has not obviously had a cap because he changed nationalities recently, but I think probably pretty deserving in terms of, you know, being a strong center back presence when Spain have honestly struggled in that department. Jose Gaia, Jordi Alba, right, in, in terms of fullbacks, that sort of thing pretty straightforward and as well as the goalkeepers and David David De Gea and Unai Simone um, and Brighton's uh, Robert Sanchez getting a shout as well. Um, probably third string for, for them. But then we get into the midfield and the forwards, which is when it gets really weird. Marcus, Marcus Lorente, I get like in terms of players, not necessarily as a just full right mid which i guess is yeah what... i i am i wrong i thought i saw that he was listed under defenders yeah so <laughs> i i think he is are listed we gonna as see defender. are we <laughs> gonna see marcus Durante play like right back i uh, yeah that's what that's what i think like luis enrique is thinking because i don't have another like he's not a good right-handed i get <sighs> You're, he's, a not, guy, he's not a good right fullback. A guy who's 10 and 10 this season, 10 goals, 10 assists for Atletico Madrid, one of the best <laughs> midfielders in the league. And he's going to possibly be playing out wide, either as a right mid or as a right back, or maybe even a right wing back. I don't even yeah. know. But there was just, it was, it, it, I'm. I'm confused. I'm very confused. <laughs> oh, wait, we're not done, though. We're not done. Don't <laughs> worry. It gets so much weirder. Like that, first and foremost, you, you apparently be playing right back. Tiago and Koke, right. Okay, makes sense. Fabian, fine. Where it gets a little weirder is Adama Traore, Pablo Sarabia, Oh well, yeah. Don't and even get me started on Sarabia. I, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily see a couple of notable names that should have been in this list. Like, not even talking about the forwards for a second. Nacho, first and foremost, as center back. How is Eric Garcia? <laughs> I. Oh yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Eric Garcia being. Included. How is Eric Garcia, who has played? Maybe 10 games for Manchester City this season. They Their defenses looked terrible every time he's <laughs> played. How does he get the call up here? And like, how much is Luis Enrique getting paid by Barcelona's board to bring <laughs> their players to this tournament? Like, oh, he, they must be get, paying him to not bring Real Madrid players because Nacho absolutely deserved... Uh, yeah, a call up versus Eric Garcia, honestly. And as much as I love what will probably be a future Barcelona player, he has not had a good season, like at all. He has had Nacho has like at least 10 clean sheets or something in 27 yeah. games or something. Eric Garcia has zero in 10. So it's like, again, levels. Yeah. But the biggest omission, I mean, obviously, we have to talk about for a second Sergio Ramos um, not right. being included in. In the Spain squad, I think probably the the, the most notable omission. Not surprising though, not necessarily no. entirely surprising. I mean, it would have essentially been a waste of space. I'm going to be honest. He's not going to play. He's not fit. He is a leader, but he's just not. He's not going to provide anything for the team right now. Right. Yeah. That 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 one that one got the headlines obviously because of yeah. the, the nature the nature of the the stature of the player, of course. But you're right. In a sporting sense, it it makes sense. Yeah. He's. 
he hasn't played a full month in six in five months at least almost six months now he hasn't played a consistent month of games and to expect that he would come into this tournament and pretty much have to play his way into shape for the first couple games at least right and I think that one makes sense and and you're not hearing Sergio Ramos have any gripe with it either so I it sounded like he and Luis Enrique had a pretty honest conversation and they both agreed definitely that one so definitely yeah this had to have been a premeditated conversation because otherwise I think the world would have blown up if it was not and we would have seen like an instagram post or something and we've been like oh god this is bad but i guess the the last player i think that really really just grind my gears in terms of not being included <sighs> jesus navas oh, like not, oh i thought you were gonna say barry no no no, oh, I, oh, oh. No, no no i so a lot of people in spain think barry aspas absolutely should have been included i mean he scored what 13 goals i think tennis a high highest number of assists by the way in the league of the season should he have been 13 assists 14 goals 14 goals there you go so sorry i was off by one but yes i am of the opinion that i don't think yago aspas should have been called up (laughs) i know that's an extremely hot take and i'm not saying that because i i think that he's not an amazing player but and it's not like he's underperformed for Celta this season. But more importantly, I think that Gerard Moreno offers more for what Luis Enrique wants to do. Other yeah, than the fact that he fair. scored 30 goals a season, yeah. Gerard Moreno and tennis like, and tennis, right? of course, of course. But Gerard Moreno is more of an out and out striker, whereas Iago Aspas isn't he, he is an out and out, he's a center forward more so than mm. a striker. Right. And Spain haven't really played like with a other than a weird inclusion of Diego Costa in like the 2014 World Cup <laughs> like yeah uh, yeah not really played that way so I think Gerard Moreno probably after offers them more so I'm not necessarily like all torn up about that I'm more torn about Jesus Navas not being get getting called yeah. up and then Marcus Lorente being listed as a right back in their in their squad because that makes zero sense to me yeah, and with two available spots that that uh, Los exactly. could have used. If you're if you're using those two spots for Nacho and Jesus Navas, and then not calling up Eric Garcia and including, you know, Barry Aspas, sure, fine, I'm I'm okay with that. But that's absolutely not what happened. <laughs> not even close. Goodness, and you know, well, I, at least that. Um, questionable defensive choice it's not like they're gonna have to deal with anyone that tough oh wait they actually have <laughs> poland in their group <laughs> so, yeah yeah um you know i god bless that's gonna be a great that's gonna be a great game for um neutrals and probably polish fans as well <laughs> yeah that's so true exactly <laughs> it's not this is gonna be a very hard time for spain i think in this euros i think England and France are probably the two obvious um, favorites followed by Portugal. But beyond that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not excited for Spain or Germany's prospects in this. This could get (laughs) very, very sad, very, very quick for both teams. Uh, Well, at least we've got a couple of weeks. At least we've got a couple of weeks. And I know from, from us, um, we'll be back definitely next week to recap the, the Champions oh, League yes. final where <laughs> I may or may not be estranged from my own father, but afterwards, 
we'll see. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I think after that we'll probably have to take a little break and and be back at some point during the Euros because we can't forget that. I mean, um, there's still there's still uh, the f- fucking football never ends. Dude. This is... it never ends. No, it's it's a money making machine. But we will be back at some point during the Euros after the Champions League final. Rihanna and I need a slight break and then we'll, we'll come back and then rant our rants. So anyway, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for watching, listen, well, watching, listening. I don't know. Something like that. And, uh, <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet, but we will be back next week. Thanks guys. Thank you.